0: Welcome to teachers are heroes, fun, are creative, creative and caring, caring,
1: enthusiastic, role
0: model, they make the world, a place. the world a better place. Presenting teachers are Adrian Swenson and Henry Godkin. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Adrian. And I'm Henry Godkin. And we are here today to discuss coaching with Brooke Trenwith.
1: Yes, uh, a very prevalent sort of topic that is coming into workplace and schools more and more um some of you will have no doubt heard about coaching and we're not talking just about the coaching in sport we're talking about sort of life coaching isn't it um, yeah questioning and those kind of things and just it's kind of
0: a not a counseling session but it kind of is so uh, yeah. please enjoy our conversation with
1: brooke trenwith and hopefully you take, you know, something from it and you learn a bit more about co- coaching and the, the importance it has to play. All right. And welcome in Brooke Trenway. So how, how are you, Brooke? Anyway, how are you doing?
2: I'm good. I'm good. I'm, um, I'm kind of in isolation, but I don't need to be in isolation. Um, so I haven't oh, okay. tested positive, but no schools want me on site at all. No. So everything's online. Yeah. um so yeah so I, I haven't actually been in a school since august 17th was the last time i was actually on campus
0: yeah with anyone a long time
2: yeah you missed so, the social aspect of it
0: or do you think everything's <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> i could see your <laughs> you're following <all> the lies <laughs>
2: Yes and no. I'm I'm a real introvert. So um and I live I live in the northern Waikato. So like for me to get to a school, I'm usually on the motorway at 5 30 in the morning to get to a nine o'clock meeting, right? So the fact that I can sort of roll out of bed at 8 55, <laughs> throw on some earrings and a shirt and make it look like a made an effort is is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. I like that. So um yeah, so I, I do miss. The social as- aspect but i have gotten better on zoom in regards to getting that connection from people um yeah. which which is awesome i think we are getting used to it now
1: sort of slowly i think sort
2: of. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't have 37 kids on online with me and i think that makes a difference right
0: yeah <laughs> and you find it, it's working well with the adults or it's online is better with adults or you don't work with students at all anymore or
2: um I've just started working with students again. I've joined an organization um, called Thrive for Girls, which is coaching for girls. And that's really exciting to to be part of that. And that's working with secondary school girls about getting them ready for university and career choices and helping them sort of break through some of those barriers that still exist for our girls out there. So really excited about that, that I've still got that connection with students. I think adults are probably worse online, <laughs> to be honest.
0: Why is that? With
2: with the exception of like five year olds, I think five year olds would be worse. But adults <laughs> adults can can be worse. It's for me, it's a lot. How do I how do I manage the distractions? Right. So their notifications are going off all the time. They're just pinging constantly. And yeah. like I was reading some research and was saying that when you get a um a distraction of some kind, when you're focused then your IQ actually drops by nine points. Really? Right. And it can take up to 23 minutes for you to get back to the same level of concentration. Um, now, in comparison, if you had someone sitting there smoking marijuana, that's only going to drop by four points.
1: Wow, okay. Right?
2: So right. that's my biggest thing when I'm working with adults is how do I get them to turn off the notifications yes. to actually pay attention and the only control I have. Just
1: turn my
2: phone
1: just. off now. So. Yeah. <laughs> just well, quickly Turn it off.
2: <laughs> even having it in sight is going to have an issue, right? Yeah. So even in sight. So you want I'm to sort of. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, put it on the floor. Put get on get the rid floor. of it. Yeah. So especially like if I've got a group of principals online with me, and I'm like trying to say to them, you know, put your phone away, turn off the notifications on your watch, all of these things. Yeah. And they're like, oh, but we must be contactable. And I'm like, you're in your office. If the school's on fire, they will come and get you. Yeah.
1: True. <laughs> that, is, that is frustrating, I imagine, because, correct me if I'm wrong, but school? do schools approach you to come and support them? And then you're there, like, well, you've asked me to come, and then you've kind of got these sort of distractions going on around these people who have asked you to come. And, yeah, that was. I, I imagine that's quite... Infuriating. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah, but. they say w- what's worse than a group of, of of students is a group of teachers. Sometimes <laughs> you know? we don't get to socialise with each other though oh, that often. I'm I'm a proper child at meetings, so yeah, I fully can attest to that statement. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: it, teachers are often if you think of your worst class period, you know, last period on a Friday. <laughs> that's generally what working with teachers is like. <laughs> um, well, and the only way to capture them is to make it worthwhile.
1: Yeah.
2: If right. if you can sort of bring them in, I, I got some feedback from a teacher on day last year, which I just love. I'm actually using it in a lot of my marketing stuff where it's like, I really hated even the thought of this PD. And I'm like, awesome. Right. That's great. <laughs> good start. <laughs> no. That's a good start. <laughs> oh yeah. And then it followed up with, but I got so much out of it. And I now realize that what I was doing was not in the best interest of my students. And I've made a change. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's the stuff you want where people walk in and they're just like, nah, I don't want to borrow this. And you can twist them.
1: So
0: they start out not like being into it, but then at the end, they've decided it's worthwhile. Is that, is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's worthwhile. And the only way that you can make it worthwhile is actually work out what their needs are as a teacher and meet those needs
1: it's just like with a with a difficult child isn't it who doesn't who's got a barrier to learning and then you you sort of crack it if you will and uh it's so it is it is amazingly satisfying isn't it and, and just so rewarding for both you and the individual as well I find um, and do you, yeah. do
0: you bring that to coaching is that kind of through coaching that's how you kind of crack the with adults that is not with the
2: yeah it's it's all about coaching yeah. And it's whether or not I'm doing a presentation, I'm going to go into it in a coaching style. Yeah. So when I do a, a full day teacher only day, like I've had to do online. So, you know, poor staff have had me for six hours. <laughs> six hours
3: yeah.
2: right, And over really, you know, really tough topics. Like I've got one in a couple of weeks on trauma informed practice. And that's hard to do yeah. online. Um but when you sort of set it up by even just putting out some Google forms, asking some questions, what do you want out of this day? And so often teachers will come back with, I want one practical strategy that I can use. Yeah. And I always refer to that and I'm like, please raise your standards. If you're with me for six hours and you yeah. walk away with one thing, we've both got issues there, right? Yeah, at, least, <laughs> yeah. at least
0: one an hour, I would say.
2: Yeah, at least one an hour. Come on. Or maybe a couple of reminders of things you already knew
0: yeah well so that's what crazy. I found the biggest thing after not taking like I finished my masters last year I think i you mm-hmm. remember yeah and um the biggest thing is I wanted to continue to learn and like do these things, but without those constant reminders from my masters, I felt like I was actually its went dormant you know I didn't know what to do i was like even though I'm in the classroom every day but a combination of not being in the class not being in the classroom because of covid and yeah. then you kind of just lose those things because you're not practicing and then it's a good reminder you get those it's important to find those good reminders yeah. along the way
2: and the space for reflection right yeah. so yeah, that sorry. if you don't have that space and that's the issue with most teachers is we don't have time yeah. to reflect
0: yeah giving that um, set 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever where they can just sit and no phone nothing just sit and reflect on what they're what they're learning or talking
1: about yeah yeah
0: um,
3: all right
1: so i'm just gonna oh sorry henry go for it No. as well i was actually gonna just sort of basically get into it because we've we've kind of talked a little bit about what you do and how, how it's going and i was kind of just for the people listening when they eventually do hopefully um <laughs> sort of go straight into sort of talking about coaching what it is but adrian if you've got something
0: yeah i was just gonna go to just back to the beginning so oh, do yeah, you? yeah, yeah so yeah. back to like yeah. Way back when, when you were at elementary school, did you always want to be a teacher slash help teachers or what was the?
2: Oh, wow. Way back then. um, My mom actually found a certificate when she moved, which had, a, it was from Sister Gemma, who was my standard three teacher. And it said, thank you for always helping out your overworked teacher. <laughs> and making life better for her. So there was probably always an element of helping teachers. Yeah. Um, I decided in secondary school and high school that I wanted to be um wanted to be a teacher. And that was mainly um, and I used to tell the story to the kids that I taught, and they just thought it was hilarious. But I saw an episode of Days of Our Lives oh, and no. the my favorite couple on Days of Our Lives finally got together in Greece on the Acropolis and I became obsessed with the ancient world because of this episode. And that's where I ended up going. I ended up becoming um, a classical studies teacher. So I majored in ancient history and art history and um, did a triple major. Um, Don't think you're supposed to do that, but I did. Um,
0: (laughs) How long did that take?
2: It took the same amount of time. It just meant you didn't do anything else. You just literally, you know, my life was Aristotle and
3: (laughs) everything. It was... yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah yeah all yeah. of those great things so um yeah so it became about being that and I loved it absolutely loved it and that's when I was teaching that's what I was doing I was teaching teaching classics oh amazing I love
1: I love classics I did it for um GCSE and A level I, I nearly did it at university actually I absolutely love the ancient world so I can I can fully understand where you're coming from with that um, probably gonna
2: start with days of our lives though but right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: I, <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't that's that's a soap opera right that's a
3: it is. classic it is.
0: soap opera I think they have the most the record for the most consecutive new shows in the world oh like,
3: really yeah, yeah yeah I
0: think because if you just times it five times how many weeks there are in a year times mm-hmm. how many years they. I think it's I heard it the other day it was something like 73 years of days of our lives and they're like the Simpsons has been doing it for 33 years, yeah. Uh, having new episodes constantly, and Days of Our Lives. If if you take out daytime television, Simpsons is the longest by far. But put daytime television in Days of Our Lives, so you never know where you get your well, inspiration from. For you
1: there, Brooke, uh, Adrian's full of them. He's M and M's. time. It's it M&M, M&M, time. MM time. Um, unfortunately, we're we're over Zoom uh, again this week, and uh I didn't bring any memory uh, M&Ms. I don't think Adrian brought any MMs. I ate
0: them all last time, and I'm still in yeah. quarantine, so I cannot get them unless they are yeah, delivered
1: I mean, by a stork. It was de- <laughs> it was definitely me who should have got them. However, um we, they'll be there in spirit with us. That's so um, I'll, I'm currently thinking about the yellow ones with the peanuts in. Mm,
3: That's
1: what yeah. I'm thinking about at the moment. Uh, the little tasty treat in the middle. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, uh, just jumping straight into our memory moment. So um, Adrian, do you want to lead oh, yeah. us off? So,
0: yeah, my my memory moment is just thinking about, because we were talking about coaching, I'm actually going to think about my ex-basketball coach. And I think, I think about how he didn't really ask us any questions. He just more told us how things were done. And I'm just thinking about how much I'm now asking my players and my co- other coaches, how do I get better? Rather than no thinking I'm the best, I want to, you know, learn from these things. And and I just remember he just, I don't want to say names because, but anybody that listens to this that are friends that played on the basketball will know that, you know, sometimes if you didn't do something wrong, right. You were, you were called stupid. And, you know, those, those things stick with people, you know, and, and I still remember it today, you know? So I, I think it's just being good to other people, even if I don't understand something or something, I think we have to just remember that it takes time, it takes time Positivity.
1: for things. Positivity. Yeah. Positivity. Yeah, absolutely. On a similar sort of vein. I mean, um, I have to shout out my memory moment this week to my very, very good friend. One of my oldest friends, George Charlton. I know he'll be listening. Uh, and I know these are some of his favourite bits of the podcast to listen to. don't know what that says about the rest of the podcast. <laughs> um, so George was with me as lots of my friends were through uh, primary school and secondary school. And he will no doubt remember uh, we had a, we had loads of amazing teachers at primary school. And, you know, they they really inspired me to where I am now. But we also had some not so good teachers and there was one in particular who who really stands out and who uh, we had quite, quite some negative experiences with um, and you know I just wanted to sort of highlight that that we've had so many guests who talk about people who make a positive influence and this this person you know yes it was negative but actually he's made a real influence on my career now because it's something that I aspire not to be and it's something that I've really learned from that um, you know, yes, we had this negativity, and that's something I don't want to ever emulate in my teaching practice. So, whenever I'm down or I'm feeling like oh, frustrated, or or you know, I'm having those days where I'm just like, oh, I'm really frustrated at this person because they can't understand what I'm trying to do, or or, or my colleague, or anything like that. I just think actually, I don't want to be like this teacher that i had so i have to make a real effort to make sure i am not like that person so uh so thank you to that teacher uh, again i'm not going to name names but i know george and, and and various other friends of mine uh chris and things who are at primary school with me you'll hopefully know who i'm talking about
0: and i think i think we learn from those people we got to learn from not yeah. everybody's gonna be positive we have to learn from those people all the time. Small things that happen along our way can't always be what we want them to be. We we have to learn from the, the things that cause us some pain as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what doesn't hurt us makes us stronger. That's right.
0: <laughs> and that is our memory moment. See you guys later. Now back sure. to the show. I yeah, will have to check that on that. But so um did that help you? How did that? I guess would there be philosophers, ancient philosophers that helped you think about I'm trying to get how you got to coaching from being a
2: classics.
0: Yeah. From the classics. Yeah.
2: Um, probably like if we think about me at school, I hated school okay. with a passion, which is why it's so funny that I'm back in schools. Um, I hadn't been recognized at that point as neurodivergent. So um, I was, was identified as as gifted when I was 27, 26, 27. And then I was identified as dysle- uh, dyslexic when I was 32. Right. So school was actually really hard for me.
3: Yeah.
2: Um yeah. in fact I probably lived in my head in Days of Our Lives episodes through most of my schooling. That was that was where I was. I was this um I describe myself now as an underachiever inside school. And yet my results would have me as achieving, right? So I was right on that that boundary of doing well enough that my teachers all said I was fine and doing well enough that my parents didn't care. Um, Mm -hmm. Gosh they messed not that they didn't care. My parents were amazing. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) that they you know they they thought I was working hard enough to do it. But I wasn't I I wasn't present in any classroom mentally present I wasn't wasn't there. and then when I when I started to, to you know come into myself as an adult, um, I realised that there's a lot of kids like me sitting mm-hmm. inside the class where teachers think they're fine, but they're not.
3: Absolutely. And
2: you know we we know that with um, with the suicide rate that we've got in New Zealand, we know we've got so many kids that are not fine in our classes that we're not aware of. And you know, you can't teach in New Zealand without being affected at some point by one of your students, either, um, attempting or completing. And you're sitting there looking at it and you're like, but why they they were fine. Yeah. And that's sort of where I got to coaching from that. So it's like, how do we help teachers realize and reflect that some of these kids aren't fine
0: yeah, that and that they have control? Or... Yeah. 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 So, that's so it. how, how, um, if you're thinking about that, like, how did you get by? Like, because to achieve, you ha- you still have to do things. So how how did that affect you? Like how did you just achieve but not get noticed? Is what I'm trying to say.
2: I spent most of my time just watching people and studying them, and going, how do they act? What's normal? How do I be normal? How do I, you know, they they seem to, you know, be what I describe now as typical, and it, it made sense. And I would I would mimic them. In the classroom. So I'd be watching, okay, well, how much are they writing? Okay. Well, I'll write the same amount. Mm. Um, how many questions do they answer in class? Okay. I will answer the same amount of questions and I'd actually just tick them off. Okay. You can get away with answering two mm. in a class. And then no one gets annoyed with you Yeah, you yeah. Know, and your peers aren't going to judge you and you can, you can be safe. So it was all about safety really. Um yeah, and then, of course, you know, essentially I'd, I'd call it now masking is what it'd be called now, you know, that, that acting as everyone else to try and fit in. Um, and then I'd do something, you know, the real me would come out at some point and those looks would come across the classroom either from the teacher or from the other students. And I'd be like, oh man, drop the mask. Quick, get it back on.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Say something stupid. <laughs> so that,
0: Henry, do you have a question?
1: Sorry. No, I was just, I was just, uh no, no, no I'm just, Processing. I'm thinking. Found this with a lot of the guests. I, I, you talk, and I, I think about my own practice and my own sort of. You know, it, it is really difficult to spot those sort of children. And and I was thinking about the ones that are often just really well behaved, maybe quite quiet. You know, don't like put the hand up all the time and aren't really extroverted. Uh, but the ones that aren't naughty and things like they really can fly under the radar. And, you know, especially with rising class sizes and things like that, you know, um, I'm thinking when I taught the class of, sort of 32, you know, it's really hard to spot those children, especially when you're on your own and there's no support staff in there or anything like that. And even though I was working in the primary sector and I had them all the time, it's still really difficult. So, um, yeah, I think I think what you're doing is very, very what's the word needed you know <laughs> we need more of that because i certainly would love to sort of build my own sort of professional development around that so,
0: so what are some practices that we should be look, looking for when we're looking for students that are quiet but not all of them are in trouble you know so how can we identify or help us identify these Fine. students yeah
2: i think that's one of the things and that everyone goes directly to identification, right? Let's find them. And then we can then we can find the root cause and we can fix it. You know, it's such a such a human nature thing to do. Yeah. But humans are complex individuals, right? There's so much going on. So there isn't actually a root cause that we can find and we can fix. So what I talk with teachers about is rather than let's search them out and find them let's think about identification and provision being two sides of the one coin. We do need to identify the needs of kids and respond to them. Absolutely. And we can do that in our data. Um, So looking at things like really questioning our data, what's going on, which is where coaching comes into as well. What's standing out for us in that? Which kids we take from a a primary um, perspective, which kids sitting on stay 99. nine? You know, that data is useless. It's the ceiling of the test. It doesn't tell us anything. So how do we get more data? Right. But at the same time, provision's on that other side of the coin. So let's change what we're offering as a way of getting them to show us what they're capable of. Right. So whenever I'm talking about provision in the classroom, I'm saying give three choices, choice A, choice B, and then choice C is always, if you want to do it differently, come and talk to me.
3: Yeah.
2: Right. And you're, you're really setting up like a, a power sharing Power balance dynamic there as well. So for kids like me, I would have been able to go up. I would have had the confidence to go up and go, actually, I want to do it this way. Mm, yeah. Um, but it's also giving those options for kids to show us what they're capable of. And then we can respond from there. And what that does is it brings out what I call the, the bobs in the middle. You know, the kids sitting there, they're not making much progress, but they're not causing any issues. So they're not on our radar. And when we start changing how we're offering things inside the classroom. And again, changing it for the entire class rather than zeroing and, and on one or two individuals yep. that can really help, mm.
0: yeah. So how, how, how is New Zealand accepting this right now? Because I'm finding that um, when I'm looking at curriculum and stuff, we still have to get these tests done internally, externally. Um, we, and I just find that, that was one of my college professors, they said, you should always give a student options. Yeah. Give them five questions and sh- say, you need to choose two or three or whatever. And, and that is, so they can choose what they're empowered to choose what they're good at. And then they're showing you what they're capable of. But I find that it's, it's so hard to do that in a, like a, in a primary school or a secondary school, because we have these tests that we have to
1: do. It's,
2: I mean, the, the little um disruptor on me is like, well, question the tests. Why yeah. are you doing yeah. the tests? Right. Um, yes. Have those conversations with your leaders about, and that's what I have with principals at all the time. I'm like, what tests are you using mm. and why are you using them? And if it's solely for a score, throw them out the door, really. Um, particularly, I, I find it harder in things like the Cambridge and the IB curriculum in regards to that with the testing, whereas the New Zealand curriculum, um, and particularly the, the revised curriculum that's coming, coming out um, over the next five years, is focusing on that agency and that choice in a different way. Um. The, the key element is even if you were able to just offer choice twice a
3: week mm.
2: you know you, if you can't do it every every lesson yeah. how can you do it twice a week that's going to have more impact than just teaching to the test
1: yeah yeah right? True. and can, can I just ask just to clarify mm. by choice you don't just mean sort of differentiation of work Do you? do you do you mean actually sort of changing the elements of choice so for example you know rather than just giving okay well these questions are a bronze these are silver these are gold or whatever language you're using around them saying actually well these questions are on this these questions are on that and then this bit you can kind of Maybe I don't know. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to unpick it a bit more because differentiation in teaching is something that's thrown at you. You know, it's like you've got to you've got to give choices. You, which I completely agree with. But I'm just wondering, are you talking about differentiation, or are you talking about?
2: I am, but I'm talking about differentiation done well. Yeah. Okay. I, so it's a buzzword. Mm. Um. So often teachers will say, "Yeah, I differentiate," and I'm like, "Cool, tell me what that looks like."
3: Yeah.
2: yeah. You know, and often it's what's done is well when they finish early, they can go and do this. That's yeah. not differentiation, no, yeah, right? Um, so we're talking about qualitative differentiation. So really where you're offering different choices from the beginning yep. rather than an add-on at the end. Yep. And you're looking at things. I talk about um, using the maker model, which has been around since 1985. So it's, it's not new, right? But it's, it's content, process, product, and learning environment how are you offering different things within that? Yeah, so you need to use their special interests. You need to look at what are the things they're passionate about, because that's going to connect them in. And if you're using that content there, the process, how are they actually doing it? What kind of, um, you know, if we take even in Bloom's um, taxonomy, you know, what process are they using for it? And again, this is nothing new for teachers. Um, the learning environment, are we making them work in groups when they actually don't function well in the group? Mm are we offering different ways of how they complete the work in the products? So if I think one of my, my favorite assessments that I ever did, and I'm really honest with teachers, that I only did, it was an NCA level three internal, so final year of high school, um, worth six credits, so, so one of the highest you could get. Um, I had 75 kids doing 75 different assignments mm. for that internal. And it was all because I wrote one assessment that allowed them to choose their content and their process.
3: Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah,
2: yeah. Now, what I'm honest about is I'd actually resigned. So if it all failed, it wasn't my problem. <laughs> <laughs> so it was right at the point where I decided to to leave teaching. So, um, but it's still one of the most favorite things I ever did because one of um, one of my girls came up to me and said, you know, I, I want to do it. it's on the influence of the ancient world on two other, um, two other periods of time. So I'd started off recommending. You know, you can do, you could do um, the Aeneid, and you could do it with Harry Potter, and you could do it with Heroes of Olympus, just try right? And compare.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm just nice.
2: Yeah, there's lots there, right? Or yeah. you could look at okay, the Colosseum. How does that compare to? Um, to Eden Park and then a stadium in the US, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: right? What are the comparisons? So everyone sort of chose the theme that they wanted, whether it was architecture or engineering or, or art or philosophy or literature, and they're following their passions, but still able to meet the criteria of the assignment. Now, one girl came up to me and she said, oh, look, I want to do the Aeneid with, um, with Percy Jackson. I'm like, cool. And then she went and with Paradise Lost. And I'm yeah. like, right, okay, yeah. sure. Uh, Haven't read it, Paradise uh, Lost, heard it's very good, but yeah, yeah go for it, go for it. Nice. You know? And Then another girl who, um, who is on that autistic spectrum, she ended up writing a novel for it. So rather than doing an essay or a PowerPoint, because they could choose how they presented it, she wrote me this amazing novel about a group of time-traveling university students who get drunk the night before their assignment and they destroy their assignment as you do when you get drunk, right? And then they had to go back through time to neoclassical Paris and Renaissance Rome to redo this assignment on how Roman art and architecture had influenced these other two periods. And because one child, um, well, because of a very complicated backstory, one of the university students only spoke in Latin Right. so you ha- and then she'd footnote at the bottom, so it was be like in Latin, and then the footnote would go, "Gosh, we're screwed. what do we do now?" that she'd worked out how to say in Latin. Right. Amazing. Now for her, actually for, for both of those girls, when I left, they thanked me for the only worthwhile thing they ever did at school.. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I've been working with you since you're 12. That's yes. awesome. <laughs> Six
0: years of worthlessness.
2: <laughs> yeah. Got there in the end. Just, yeah. yeah. Got there in the end. But, and that, that became when I went out and worked with teachers, that became my, the thing I held onto, it was my, my, my talisman almost that this is what we need to do for all kids.
1: Yeah. It's, it, it, it really is that, you know, if you're able to do something that you are, uh, well one you're choosing and two you're passionate about you're much more likely to engage with it aren't you? and I think that can be applied across not just teaching but all sort of aspects of life can't it you know they always people always say oh do do the job that you love do something that you love that you enjoy because you're going to get the most out of it I mean yeah. obviously we'll have days where <laughs> you know it's tough but it is it is uh amazing when when that happens I think what would you say to people who sort of Because I get worried about well, oh, that's all well and good, and give them the freedom and the choice, and okay, but how do we then assess them? You know, because this is this is the big thing in teaching now. Got to be able to assess them. Got to be able to look at where they are against one another. Um, I mean, I find it incredibly frustrating. You know, I I I love um Einstein's quote about the fish. You know, if we were all, I'm sure you know the the quote. I'm I'm going to butcher it now, but it's something like you know, uh, if we're all compared to a fish trying to climb a tree. You know, it, yeah. It, that's that's how testing is. I mean, I, I struggled at school. I really hated tests and stuff like that. I, and I suppose my my question to you is, what what's your what's your answer to teachers or, or people who ask ask that? You know, how can we? Okay, it's all well and good them going in all different directions, but then how do we bring it back and look at that as a. Um, We need
2: to think of it as as freedom within form. And I think this is where teachers often go wrong, is that we go, right, we're going to let them go on their own self-interest and off they go. They need to know where they're going. They need to have almost a flight plan for what they're going to do and what they're going to be assessed on. So using your learning intentions, using your success criteria, making sure that whatever your assignment you're writing is scaffolded, that includes the choice within it. So... So that there is still that, that, that form around it and that structure around it. And then that means that the, the child will be successful and it also means you can assess them. Mm-hmm. You can sit there and go, well, is this an achieved a merit, or an excellence? Because yeah. you know what criteria you're marking on. Mm-hmm. But the criteria is not necessarily based around the content.
0: This episode is sponsored by Hat. Keep the sun out of your eyes, keep you looking cool, and get back to the show.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. 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 More than that, yeah, it's about uh, also empowering teachers as well to, to do that, have the confidence and, yeah. and make sure that facilitating it in the correct way. You know, because like you say, some will just go, yeah, go, go off, be free, go do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah
2: so you sort of picture these hippies going, go learn, go learn. <laughs> yeah. you know, I think the
0: hard part is that you you do have to make sure you're, that means you have to be prepared. And I think it's sometimes it's hard for teachers in general to find the time to prepare because, yeah, it's great once we are prepared. Like I found mm. that the best assignments aren't always the ones that I prepare, but it's always the ones that I have the clear intentions at the end. So Mm -hmm. like, not necessarily that I have planned everything in the middle, but everything that I know where the goal is at the end. I've given them a rubric that they can check off to say that they've achieved this. Yeah. But I I haven't, like, I I don't know how we're going to get there. I just know at the end that there's going to be something. And I think that was the biggest thing that I learned is thinking about the big idea rather than thinking about every little part of the big idea so thinking about what we can do to if we want to learn about um renewable energy we know that we want to learn about renewable energy but and we know that we want to let them discover maybe we want each person they can go discover a renewable energy come back but they can choose whatever renewable energy they want and they can give you a they can do a podcast they could do a since we're on podcast they could do a, a a presentation, you know, something they can choose how they actually present it as long as we give. But I think it's so hard for some people is to actually have that prepared, like have the big idea prepared because they don't until you've done it a couple times, I think it's hard to know where you want it to go and feel comfortable with that craziness. I think because, because like you said, you wanted to be in control at the very beginning. You said you like to be in control, right? So it's hard to, to let things be free if you're not in control
2: and that all relates to coaching conversations, right? A, a coach, to be a good coach, you're never in control of the conversation. It's always the coachee who's in control. And often you know where you want to get to because you've started off a conversation and like I want I want little Bobby to start paying attention in class, right? How you get there, you have no idea when mm-hmm. you're going through it. And you're in this mess and this maze and you're often sitting there going, yeah, I don't know if we're going to get to anything. Before the end of this, but they always do.
1: Yeah. Can I get you to just um, like break down sort of what coaching is a little bit? Because sorry, Mm. before we, because I I mean, I we I can keep going. I'm sure Adrian can as well (laughs) about all sorts of. Can I give you
2: one more tip before we go into coaching? Just, just for for the teachers who who are sitting there listening to this and thinking, I can't plan like that. I can't. I've got these tests that I've got to do. Even adding a question at the end of the test that says is there anything you want to tell me that hasn't been asked?
1: Mm. Okay. yeah, yeah. That's
2: going to be life-changing in a classroom for a kid.
1: Just a bit of pupil voice, you know, Yeah, a little bit of the end.
2: And they will tell you everything that you didn't actually, that they learned along the way that wasn't in the tests.
1: True. That's
0: a, that's a great, that's a great option. Because at the end of the test, because you, you give them so many things that they have to study for, especially in math because the yeah. classic example is always going to a math test and you have to have this procedural stuff but so many times you study these things that aren't on the test because we can't put everything on the test you'd be there for hours and yeah. hours and hours right so at the end if we give them that option to be like oh, actually i studied all of this and here's an example of what yeah. i actually can do you know give them the yeah that freedom of oh yeah, yeah. that's true yeah
2: yeah, uh,
1: yeah nice. No,
2: Awesome. Um, and, and now to your coaching question, what is <laughs> what is coaching? I mean, coaching is, yeah, like you said, it, it's growing in popularity. Um, it's probably, I see it as the most effective form of, of PD, either in the business world or in teaching. I work um, in corporate spaces as well. So I don't just do education spaces. I work with a lot of CEOs and directors and, and coach them as well. Um, coaching is about essentially it's having a conversation and having someone ask you the questions you're not asking yourself Mm -hmm. to help you gain clarity and a different lens on whatever's happening. It's not necessarily um, about fixing something. And I think that's where people struggle is that sometimes you don't get a fix or find a root cause or anything like that. But what it does is it takes all of those those tangles inside your head. So the image I use when I train coaches is these balls of wool all tangled up inside your head. And through the coaching process, you separate out all the different colours, and then you work out which one of those you want to focus on. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Would you would you say it's like you know when people sometimes just need we all need to sort of rant, 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 and just let off steam and, and just let things out. Would you say that's what coaching is about? It's about facilitating those conversations not just to go ah oh, this is really difficult but actually to sort of try and get the person to work out why it's difficult because I don't know if you agree but whenever I have a little sort of rant at somebody in lesson, I feel so much better and I feel like oh yeah okay I can actually figure things out now because I've kind of got it out of my system is that is that kind of how you would see it or
2: not not really I get it okay. and I agree <laughs> with you and I do the same um in fact, I often, like, I preempt my, my rants to my husband going, I don't want you to fix this and I don't want advice. Okay. I just need you to let me just scream about this for a little while okay. and then I'll move on, right? Um, coaching is more, it's more about a specific and deliberate reflection on your practice and what you have control of in situations where you feel you've got no control. Right right So in an education context, there's there's three areas of coaching and this comes from Jim Knight. Um, the first one is cognitive or facilitative, where you have someone who is like a mirror, they're just going to sit there, they're going to listen, they're going to ask you questions to get you look at things differently, right? Yeah. But they're never going to tell you what to do. Then we have instructional coaching, which is where, you want to learn how to do something and you know, you've gotten to your head that, you know the reason Bobby isn't paying attention in class is because we're not hitting its zone of proximal development or a goldilocks lock zone. They're not too easy, not too hard. Um, and you wanna change what you're doing. So an instructional coach is gonna give you some gest- suggestions and go, look, here's three different ways we can put in practice in the classroom. Here's different templates we could use for this. Which one do you wanna use?
3: Yeah.
2: And then the third type is mentoring. So if you're, someone who's training um, a bt so beginning teacher or someone on the pct you're a mentor to them they don't have the experience to do to work out what's going on so you're yeah. there to tell them what to do likewise if you're working with someone under competency you're telling them what to do
3: yeah
2: right so when i work with teachers and training them to coach or if i'm coaching them i tend to stay in the cognitive form in the facilitative where I'm reflecting back. I'm their partner. I'm not there as someone above them that knows more than them. I'm there as someone who will just ask questions and go, what do you mean by that? Or what I'm hearing is this. So it helps them develop a hunch in regards to what's going on and explore different possibilities. So think of it like an iceberg, right? If we're busy, we're only seeing the top of the iceberg and we're throwing things in place to try and fix the issue. But we're not seeing everything underneath. Coaching allows you to go underneath and fix those bigger issues, or put things in place to change the practice there.
1: Yeah, in- uh, interesting. Sorry, I'm Adrian. I feel like I'm doing all the talking.
0: I no, no, yet. I'm, I'm, um, I'm still surviving from COVID, so I'm
1: just taking, uh, taking it <laughs> in. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting when I was back in the UK. um Coaching was really sort of taking off um, a couple of years, uh, about three years ago. I remember we. The school that I was at was like, right, right, we're developing this whole coaching thing. And they kind of, there was, a, there was a lady like yourself and she was great. And bless her, she didn't have the best response from the staff, which I don't know if that's something that you often get, because they just didn't know anything about it. You know, when you hear the words coaching, you think, oh, the people on the side of a the sports picture, whatever, like, you know, and they don't, they have no understanding of it. And this lady was trying her best. And it was at the end of a, I think it was a Thursday afternoon. People were tired. They just didn't you know, really want to be there. And she tried her best and we all sat down and got into our coaching groups. And then she was like, right, you know, did exactly what you said, you know, pick a thing and blah, blah, blah. And people go, well, well, what questions do I ask? How do we, you know, how do we get Get to, how how do we, how do we keep this going? And they just didn't really buy into it. Now I'm not saying it was the facilitator's fault. It definitely wasn't. She was trying her best. She gave us a lot of information. I took a lot from it, Yeah, (laughs) but other people didn't. How, how how are you kind of how do you support people and, and, and show them the benefits of this, you know, rather than just going it's amazing because it's great and I know, I know it is because I've I've done a bit of it myself at school. But you know, yeah, how do you how do you kind of get people to buy into it and, and really?
2: But I mean the first thing there I never take it whole staff. Ever.
1: Okay. Interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah, okay. Ever. You know, in fact, Whatever PLD I do, whether it's around gifted education or whether it's around trauma-informed practice or neurodiversity and general inclusion, I never go whole staff straight away. Okay. Um, I still have schools who, who want me to do sort of the whole staff meeting on things, and I will do a couple, maybe like two a year maximum with that. But I generally am able to convince the senior leadership team that they're just throwing their money away. By doing that, it's not going to create any change in the classroom. It's As soon as you go something whole staff, you're going into like a lolly scramble, right? You're throwing out these lollies. Some people like yourself are grabbing lots of them and going, this is awesome. I like this. Other people are going, I don't like those lollies. I don't want them. Other people are sitting there going, well, I don't eat lollies, so I'm not going to take them. (laughs) Right? And particularly with teachers, they're sitting they going, well, you're saying we should differentiate to our kids and you're doing this to us? Are you kidding me? Mm, yeah. You know, why, why do that? So whenever, if I go into establish a coaching program inside a school, like what I was doing with Adrian last year, the, the first step is in the, it's a three-year program, right? And in what? the first year, I'm working with around about generally 10 people from a school. So um, those 10 become the ones that I sit down and I get them so involved and loving it so much that it's beginning to sort of start this little like snowball going, right? Yeah. And because they have to be accredited it means they have to go out and practice with people. So then they're going out and practicing with other teachers inside the school and starting this little rumor happening of, you know, oh, this was really useful. This this made sense to me. So you're building that up. And then in the second year, you've got those accredited coaches going out and continuing to coach people by people choosing to take part of that yeah. and keeping it as far away from appraisal and attestation as possible, yeah. right? And then in that second year as well, what I do is I take a group of people who are really passionate and they go, right, I'm going to take you into that next level of coaching and you're going to become the trainers of the next group that come through. And again, awesome. those are volunteers coming in. So, so it's you, you're beginning to just slowly build it up each year. Yeah. And in the third year, basically it's running by itself. And I'm just on Zoom going, hey, guys, how's it going? You having trouble? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> are you stressing out? Do you need to have a coaching conversation? Sure, hop on. Let's have a chat.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah. So the like one of the questions, the trainers I'm working with at the moment, one of the questions I said, I took a thinker's key approach with it. And I went, right. If we want this to fail, if we want it to be the worst failure in the history of professional learning, what do we do? And they're all like, take it whole staff straight away. Yeah. Make everyone assign coaches to each other, like arranged marriages.
3: Right. Mm,
2: yeah. Disaster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's never going to work. Um, so it's all about the implementation, and it's all about working with your early adopters first. Get them on board, show the impact, show the evidence, and then start moving forward. There's always going to be 10% who don't get on board. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So um, sorry, I'm just gonna uh, ask another question. So along that you're you're basically saying get getting people involved, you don't force it on them, basically, right? And you're and you're saying you're you're if you wanna do this, you have to, you know, you want you have to want to do this and then it sounds fun. So I'm going to jump in with my friends and, and then I'm going to get somebody else and I'm going to have a conversation with somebody that, uh, I like, otherwise it's just not going to work or, you know, it's, it, it builds that relationship just like a, a marriage. You, you're you not going to choose somebody to marry that you don't like, or something like that. It's, it's, it, it's all about the, you know, getting on board with something that you're just like, you were talking about with the kids. You, you had to give them something that they really wanted to get involved with. Okay. And so I think this is really, really a good idea in general, but how, how did you get involved? Like, how did you decide, like, how, how do you learn how to do this? Because obviously yeah. I'm learning from you, but yeah. how did, like, I always wonder about where's the origin of everything. So wh- why is, you know, why do we use math the way we use it? Because it's, it's worked. Someone invented this at some point. So h- how did coaching become what it is? Like, how did we decide How did you decide that this is a good thing to do? And how did you kind of train to get that?
2: I Probably found it was a good thing to do after doing so many lolly scramble meetings (laughs) on ministry contracts and walking away and going, well, I got paid, but feeling just deep dissatisfaction about whether or not anything is going to change in the classroom for kids. Um, So my personal values weren't being met with it. So I started, started doing a lot of research my own t- um, I, I have this, one of my strengths is um, love of learning. Mm. Right. And I, I will qualify with that, that there's a lot more focus on the love than there is on the actual learning part. So I'm one of those people who buys like every book available. And then it sits there on my bookshelf for years until I finally get around to reading it. Um, But I started going, okay, well, let's, let's look at it differently. Let's, how do I shift what I'm doing because I'd come in to as a PLD provider being told you're the expert mm. right go in and tell people what to do yeah. and at that time I was um I was dealing solely with gifted students so it was all around gifted and talented education now the difference between a, a gifted PLD facilitator and a maths PLD facilitator is that a maths PLD facilitator can go into a staff room do a presentation and take for granted that people believe that maths exists.
0: Mm, true. Right. Yeah, yeah. They have to believe it. it's yeah, part of the curriculum. It's, it's the yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. There's there's no option there.
0: Yeah.
2: Gifted, not so much. So I was heading in all these staff meetings where it was a real, it was hitting people's core values. There was ph- philosophical questions back and forth. We started, you know, I had to, talk about cultural giftedness and then all this racism was coming through. And I was like, Mm. I don't, I'm not trained in how to do this. I'm trained in how to run staff meetings. Yeah. Right. So, um, so I started reading and I started reading a lot of Jim Knight's work. Um, I started pulling out um, a lot of Jan Hill stuff as well. And just looking and going, okay, well, how do I, how do I let go of the power so that it's not me going in and telling people gifted exists, and you must do something and you're failing your kids which is essentially what i was doing and that doesn't work right, right.
0: <laughs> just going back to our previous conversation earlier in this conversation yeah,
2: exactly it doesn't work so um so it became okay well what questions can i ask that get them reflecting on what's happening for particular children that will then create a change um And then from there, just um, any training that I could possibly get my hands on that I could find, I was there. I was at conferences down the Waikato. I was flying to Melbourne to work with Jim Knight. Um, Probably should have looking back um, structured a little bit more. So I'm at the point now where to be qualified by the ICF, which is the International Coaching Federation, I have to go back and retrain. Oh. Because all the things that I've done are from all different bits and pieces, so it's not recognised. They recognise whole programs rather than individual oh,
3: yeah, things.
2: Yeah. yeah. So um, that's sort of my thing at the moment. Whether or not I, don't, I go and get that international qualification, which yeah, I'm not. I'm not so big on qualifications. So <laughs> maybe that's not.
1: Like you've done so frustrating because you've you've picked sort of the elements that you think are important and help and, and make yeah. you a, a practitioner. And they're telling yeah. you, you no, to look at the whole, that whole thing, have it? Yeah, it's just, that's indicative of our education system, isn't
2: it? It is, and especially worldwide stuff, you know, where they're, they're trying to maintain the standards of the qualifications, so they're setting red tape and boundaries around it. Um, yeah, but for, for me, I think as well, there was an element of, um, I've, I've been in therapy on and off for a number of years, um, dealing with personal situations and that type of thing. And I love the therapy side. I loved going there. And I got to the point where one of my therapists said, you know, I don't think you need to see me anymore. I think you need to see a coach because you need, this is no longer about dealing with, um... I, had, I had 13 people die in, in three months and it affected me very badly. And, you know, they're like, we're no longer talking about that. We're now talking about your career pathway. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm not qualified to discuss this with you. You need to go and find a coach. Yes. So, yeah. So
0: that's just part of life. It was just it just came about. Sometimes things happen, right? You just you're going using this therapy. It's working great. You're doing these things. But also then someone suggests something to you and you're like, oh, actually, that's actually a really good idea. So sometimes it just happens that way, right? You just get a suggestion and it works out and you just take it and run with it. And I think that's what it, you're basically sounds like you're just taking these you're researching a bunch, which is awesome. You're, you're loving To do this thing and then you're also learning a little bit along the way and then it just kind of it works out that it all goes together. That oh that's just so good. It just sometimes that stuff just lines up so well. Stop the podcast. This episode has been sponsored by ice rinks. Fed up of being able to stand upright? Annoyed that you're looking cool in front of girls that you fancy at school, go
2: to an ice rink. A lot of my life is very much I wake up in the morning and I'm like, okay, so we're doing this now? Okay. Let's yes. go. Yeah. Let's
1: just <laughs> yeah. Was it was it quite a, a sort of a risk? Is the right word, but sort of a risk to go into this. You know, was it was it like, oh, okay, this is something different that I've not done. Let's give this to go. Or
2: yeah, yeah, definitely leap of faith kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, like I left teaching. Twenty thirteen was when I resigned from my my teaching job and. I had been, um, I'd been really ill for about a year and thought it was burnout. Um, Turned out it was actually after seeing 11 doctors, it was um, um, celiac disease, hypothyroidism and lead and mercury poisoning that I was actually dealing with. So I remember it was a Tuesday afternoon and I looked at my husband and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And he went, resign. And I went, Okay. So we did and we were, you know, we're privileged. We're very lucky. My husband was working as a a DP at that point in South Auckland and we were planning to move to the Waikato at some point anyway. So we went, well, let's just do it now. And the thought was, well, my husband's in charge of relief. So if I need to do some work, I can (laughs) get work anytime, you know, (laughs) all good. Um, But, you know, then life, life changes. So we... I got a call um, two weeks before I was due to finish um, from Cognition Education from a friend there who was like, we've got a six-month contract to um, to run PLD for teachers around gifted education. And We thought you might want to apply.
3: Mm.
2: And I was like, oh, I don't know. Really? <laughs> Working with teachers? And yeah. they were like, oh, look, it's six months. It's four days a week. You know, you can choose. You'll still have time to sort of recover and so I, I took it because it was a short term contract and, of course, stayed there for
0: a long time. <laughs> so, Because you, you, you said earlier in the interview that you said um, you were 26 when you found out that you were gifted. Yeah. Yeah. So 20, 26. So is that how you kind of how did you get how did these people get in contact with you? How, how was it that they were like, oh, let's get a hold of Brooke. She's a perfect for this out of all the people in New Zealand. Yeah. She's great. I just know she'll be great. So how did,
2: how uh, did you know, I, I was very active on the mailing list
0: mm, okay.
3: and
2: sharing ideas and that type of thing. And I'd done, um, I'd taken study leave for a year to do a postgrad on it. So small gifted community. Yeah. So I guess that's how they knew I'd been. Yeah. My name was definitely out there. It um, it was, a couple of years ago I was at a conference in, in Dubai. I was presenting and I got chatting to someone and they introduced themselves and I introduced myself and I went, Oh my god, you're Brooke Trainworth," And I was that's like, oh, how do you know me? <laughs> you know, but she she was stalking gifted education in New Zealand and had heard about me and had been following my blog and doing those sorts of things. So you you don't know who who in the world is stalking you with what you're yeah, doing when true. you contribute. <laughs> Yeah.
0: You know, with all the internet you de- you can get away with stalking people all like any, any way you want it seems like it worked out well for
1: you though. This I suppose it's just you you were getting your name out there you were you were passionate about this so it's something that you were putting yourself forward to so yeah. Like- yeah, just
2: just contributing and yeah. I think I think with anything, I I detest the word expert with a passion. I hate it. I don't think any of us are experts. Um, But I love the word contributor.
3: Mm.
2: And that's what I aim to be all the time is just contributing to the conversation. And I think that's how people improve. If everyone contributes their thoughts and their viewpoints and has respectful conversations, then we're all going to learn and we're all going to improve.
0: Yeah. If you're not, if you're just being part of the ride, basically, you're not, you're not the leader, you're not the captain of the ship. You're just along for the ride and, and, and giving, you know, some ideas that hopefully people run with or, or, you know, at least have a conversation around. And uh, that led to your, you were the head of, of gifted and talented as well. Is that. I I was,
2: yeah, I was was president of the New Zealand association for gifted children for four years and um, sat on the world council as a New Zealand rep during that time as well. um yeah and and and
0: and you found i i because i think you said at the beginning also that you were working with you're working with a group of high school girls now right so yeah so with that with gifted and talented i think a lot of times the girls or women in general are underrepresented um and what's happening like how did you How how do we stop that from happening
2: basically uh, I am so worried about our girls. I know in education New Zealand we're all about boys, they're falling behind, falling behind, blah, blah, blah. But when you start going up to the university stats, our girls are falling behind. They're they're dropping, you know, they're they're lowering the complexity of their qualifications when they're at uni. Um, They're deliberately not taking subjects that they can take because it's not seen as, as feminine still. So subjects like biology and chemistry, um, there's still that element of it. The, the girls that when we think about barriers to our girls' education, uh, many of them will talk about the fact that to succeed against a man is to lose in the long, long run. So there's no point in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think for anyone, you know, any male who has a daughter, that's that's scary, oh, that's yeah. terrifying. Um, and yeah, so I'm I'm really passionate about a girl's achievement and helping them identify for themselves. Um, we know when when men apply for a job, they'll read a job and uh, job description, right? And they'll go, Ah, oh, I can do like eighty percent of that. Yeah. I'll apply.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I fit that. I fit that. I can do that. Yeah. I, the confidence is so much higher.
2: Absolutely. Whereas girls read it and they go, oh, there's 20% of that. I can't do, so I'm not going to apply. Mm. Right. Yeah. The, I think one of the key things we can do for our girls' achievement is really focus on building their self-efficacy when they're younger, um, particularly before the age of 12. So at the age of 12, um, between 12 and 14, is when girls go through this massive self-esteem plunge. Mm. And what we need to do is make sure that that self-efficacy is high enough that when they go through that plunge, they can get back up to where they were. Whereas at the moment it's so low, they, they never get up to where they're capable of, um, which means they're less likely to take risks, both in their career um, and in their own personal lives. And means that we're missing out on so much potential mm-hmm. in the world.
0: I find that the girls in general, they are really organized they have like their notes or they they're really in control of those things mm-hmm. and then when let's say they don't get into a class that they wanted or they you know get shut down by they they get in a little bit of a drama something happens as well like you're saying at that age and it's such a changing age for everyone at that age 12 to 14 is such a weird time to be alive just in general <laughs> so many different things happen um and it's just i find that they're so organized but then at some point they just they just decide I'm not going to take this because I, I don't want to be the only girl in the class or I don't want to be the only, like, I don't want to be, I want to be with my friends and they're not doing this. So I'm not doing this, but yeah. So I, it's really hard to get them to change that. Right. Yeah. Cause it's, it's already a, a downward spiral that we need to figure out a way to reverse that spiral. yeah
2: And a lot of it, I think for teachers, you know, you ask, what can we do? Give them meaningful work in their zone no of proximal development is one of the first things. Um, so many of our girls, particularly in primary school, they'll they'll do something that's actually too easy for them, and then they'll get told to put a border around it and make it pretty. Mm, true. Right.
0: Yeah.
3: So
2: they'll go, and that becomes the focal point for them, making it pretty. Um, you know, I've I've dealt with five year olds who, these little girls who go into school reading. And they can read and then they look around and, you know, one girl in particular was reading Harry Potter, right? That's, that was her reading at home was Harry Potter at five years old. And a week after being at school, she couldn't read anymore mm. because she had looked at everyone else and gone, I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't fit.
0: Yeah, I'm ahead of the game. Why am I ahead of the game? Why am I not like everybody else?
2: Yes, oh, I'm right. supposed to be like everyone else, so I'm not going to do that anymore.
1: Rather being told you're
2: amazing. You're okay. this is great you don't have to sit there and read this you can read harry potter and then tell me about it
3: yeah absolutely
2: um and even to the point where teachers have said to me oh but that's going to make the other kids feel bad yeah and you're like really
3: Uh, but
2: you know and that's where the coaching comes in because your initial response after wanting to hit them is to you know (laughs) it's to tell them that they're wrong but that's not going to Change their behaviour, so it's asking that question. Okay, well, why do you think? Or how can we mitigate it so that the other kids don't feel bad that someone is performing above them?
1: It's about knowing everyone's different, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that's so frustrating. So, w- when
0: you're working with these girls, that you said it was a program called Thrive, is that right? Or it's
2: called um, Thrive for Girls. So I've just joined. Um, they have a series of coaches around the country um that you can book in with that girls can book in and have a sh- coaching conversations with
0: oh so you're then, somebody that they just go to in times when they want to have a coaching conversation or yeah. sometimes a time to reflect do you have like a, where you have it set up so they have to no, I, I know you don't want to make them have to do things but to keep them on track so that they're you know making sure that they're still doing these coaching things how do you or is it just whenever they're ready they you know
2: Whenever they're ready. Okay. So the program itself um, does run like set programs in regards to like scholarship or university ready or study skills or working out what to do with jobs. So those are set programs that they can sign up for and work yeah. through. Um, but generally the work I do um, and I specialize in, in Eurodiversity with them. So I'm the one for those girls that don't feel like that they're fit to sit down and have a conversation with. Yeah, and yeah. to have someone ask those questions to get them thinking differently so it's it's getting momentum mm.
3: um
2: i think if we were in the states i think it would be thriving a lot more Excuse i think as well. yeah. yeah um kiwis are still sort of a bit like why would we get a coach isn't that a little bit pretentious to to go and do that and we see that even in in the corporate industry where people like well why do i need a coach
3: Mm.
2: isn't it better to have a mentor who just tells me what to do well no (laughs) actually it's not yeah
0: yeah
3: Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: so they, they have the with the with that they're with coaching girls in general so you're you're giving them opportunities how do we promote this kind of how do we get more people involved because i think this is a great program and like you said it's hard for i found that it's hard for sometimes kiwis they're so set in their ways and I, i'm not trying to hurt our viewership here but uh they're so set in their ways that like they just because they're an island they they things have been working this is how we've been working and why would we change so how do we promote this because i think this is an awesome pro like program yeah.
2: Yeah, well it's it's mostly on social media at the moment. So there's a group that you can anyone can join with that. And then we've also got a mothers group on there as well, which is pretty cool just to have um because it's through the mums because they pay for it.
0: Oh
3: yeah. <laughs> do yeah.
2: the coaching thing. So um so that's how we're doing it. In regards to the gifted side, in May, we've actually set up a um, just a Zoom meeting with May. Hear mm-hmm. about gifted girls, what's going on, what do we need to look for, what can we do, yeah. that type of thing. So really just um trying to get those conversations out there
1: unlocking yeah. that potential that you
2: yeah
1: yeah and, and how would you rather for those people who are listening who think oh this sounds great and things like that oh I've, i'll best wait until i get a coaching facilitator in my school or in my work which we don't want to happen we don't want them to sort of wait yeah. Oh, let's wait until somebody does something for us how, how can people be proactive and think well I, I want to get into coaching i'd like to do that what can they do i mean you've talked about social media and stuff like that is there is there something they can actually just start up with their with their friends or their colleagues or is it is it something actually no no you need to just go and have a bit of do a bit of reading about it you know uh get a bit more understanding and then go for it or or would you would you advise people to just go
2: yeah Yeah. the best way to learn how to coach is to be a coachee yeah is to be coached by someone and the best way to improve your coaching is to be coached by someone yeah um so for me i've got i've got three coaches that i work with that i flip and change with depending on what i need at that particular time so i've got one who's sort of more hard ass and challenges me a little <laughs> bit more and others who are a little bit more gentle softly softly when i'm feeling a bit a bit insecure i'll go with them rather than the hardest one right
0: so giving yourself options
2: yeah exactly you know seeing what will work best for me at that time what i can cope with um so finding finding a coach yourself and being a coachee is one of the first steps I think. Then then looking at okay what's well, available. If I've enjoyed this experience, how can I go out and learn how to coach? Um, and there's lots of different. There's yeah if you if you Google it, there's lots of different places you can get. I would be hesitant about anything that gives you a weekend qualification. You know, learn coaching in one weekend kind of thing. It's um, really question that type of thing.
0: Well, they'll, they'll love to do it for that weekend and then it fades away quickly, right? Yeah.
3: Isn't and you don't
2: point? have the growth and the progress. It takes at least a year to even hit novice coaching standard with general reflection and that type of thing. Um, in January, I had an amazing opportunity. I, I signed up for a training course with a guy called Robert Bidwes-Dina, who is, um, he's a coach in America. And he coaches people in the Pentagon and that type of thing, you know. So he's he's up there as a coach. And mainly, I signed up because a I wanted to learn from him, and also I was kind of hoping that he would be doing some sort of demonstrations, and maybe I could be coached by him, right? yeah. <laughs> and not have to pay his fees. <laughs> so, which happened, which was amazing. So, um, and that was an incredible experience because. We had 21 hours. There was 18 of us on it and we were with him for 21 hours over two weeks, three and a half hours at a time, all on zoom with a five minute break. And you were so energized at the end of three and a half hours. There was no zoom fatigue. There was no nothing because the whole thing was structured like a coaching conversation.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah. yeah.
2: It was incredible. So that's what I sort of recommend to people that if you want to get into coaching, the first thing, go and find yourself a coach.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. Because you'll go and and if you don't like them, work out why you don't like them and then go find someone else.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Just like a book, you know, if you don't like a book, don't force yourself to keep reading it. Go and find a different one. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> Even if it's supposed to be really good, like Paradise yeah. Lost, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um no, oh, awesome. Cool. Awesome. Thank you for that. And um, sorry, go for it, Henry. No, no, I'm I, I, I'm out of questions now, I'm afraid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. I I think that that's a great idea. And and the coaching, they can reach out to you as well, right? On there's you have potential to performance. Is that or is that?
2: Probably- yeah, that's my company. So potential to performance limited. So I I do three areas through my own company. Um, I do direct to schools engagement either through ministry, PLD, or schools paying themselves around whatever area people want to do. Um, And then I also do direct support to parents and students as well. And um, then I do coaching and leadership as well. So people can be coached by me, which um, many people are across Australia and New Zealand, where they just book me in when they want to. And we have a coaching conversation, and then they go away and do what they decide to do from that conversation, and then come back when they're ready, essentially yeah
0: and they and in in businesses there because we've been talking a lot about teaching but how how could coaching help a a non-teaching like how how does that help people in general
2: coaching is massive in a non-business sorry in a a non-teaching in a business area um and it's certainly becoming more and more prevalent in our organizations that the coaching is there so most of the work that I do with with corporates, and I also do um, councils and utilities as well, is that I go in before they start a change management process. So they're having coaching with me and working out what their strengths are and what value they bring into the, the business before we even start changing what is is that they're doing, because it opens their mind before things start to change.
3: Mm.
2: And you, initially when I started doing it, I was I was quite nervous. Um, particularly in that situation, I was working with a council and I was, I was chatting with guys who repair the potholes on the roads. And I was like, how am I going to coach these guys? I, I don't know, but you know what they're waking up at three o'clock in the morning, wondering whether or not they repaired the hole well enough. And the same way teachers wake up at three o'clock in the morning going, did I teach that kid well enough yesterday? So it's, it's still the same thing. And the feedback I get from coaching clients no matter what area or industry that they're in is that the conversations don't only impact their professional lives, their personal lives change. So I've, I've had principals say to me, my blood pressure has gone down simply by talking to me once a term. And I'm like, Oh, that's funny. My husband's blood pressure goes up whenever he talks to me. So it's, um, you know, it's looking at that, that different viewpoint and finding and releasing those, those judgments and everything that's going on inside our head.
0: Yeah, it's, just, it's an outlet. It's an outlet yeah, for yeah. people, and everybody needs an outlet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. The other thing that comes, and this is where it's really promoted, um, particularly the strengths coaching that I do in a non educational setting. When people set goals around their weaknesses, the research has found that it's going to drop your performance by negative 26%, negative 26.4%. So setting a goal around something you're bad at, is going to make you bad or worse at your entire job. Right? When we set a goal around something that we're good at, our entire job performance goes up by 19.5%.
0: So you're saying if, if I choose something like, cause I choose three goals every year, like in my yep. life, I always choose goals and Sometimes I put myself out of reach. So I think like uh, learning an instrument for me was really hard. Mm-hmm. So I, every year I put it on a goal, but I never succeed. So is that what you're sa- saying is that if if I'm choosing something that I know that I'm not going to be good at or know that I have flaws in, that I'm not going to, but if I choose something that I want to extend, maybe something that I'm already interested in, for example, uh I do like having conversations. So working on my questioning or something like that, I will be more is that what you're saying? It's more success, successful You'll if be I'm more
2: successful it. in every year of your life. Yeah. If you set your goals around things that you're good at.
0: Yeah. Well if, yeah. It's, if you're key, then you if you then
1: you feel good about it, don't you? Yeah. yeah.
0: So right. but should you should you always I'm I'm kind of I always push those goals on there because I want to be successful at something that I'm bad at. So should I still not sh- should I be putting those goals? I'm not asking you, I'm. this is more of a rhetorical question, but.
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd go into a coaching conversation there about why do you want to be good at something you're bad at? What are you going to get out of that?
0: Yeah. What would I get out of it? I, I guess it's because my family's all good at it. So I feel like I should get at it. <laughs> They're all so really yeah, good at That it. would take
2: you into another part of the coaching conversation, right? You're digging into that iceberg. So that that statement there tells you it's actually nothing about the musical instrument it's about the fitting in with the family
0: yeah yeah
1: right I'm watching a coaching conversation yeah 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 well that's what I was trying to set up
0: there I was trying I knew that was a
1: possibility
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true yes I'm just not I'm not really caring about the instrument that's why it's not successful probably I want to be accepted in the family because they're all first chair instrument people and I'm not.
2: <laughs> yeah. I did
0: three months of trombone in sixth grade and was not successful. I don't know why. I,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. When we think of the big picture there, if you set a goal that you want to be first chair because your family is, and you're setting that goal around that extrinsic motivation of your family, every day that you fail, in inverted commas, to move forward towards your goal, will actually lower your self-efficacy it's going to make it harder for you to take risks in other areas so eventually it's going to impact your life in general
0: okay yeah true it all makes so much sense it does it's it's mm-hmm. funny how when you talk things through it works,
2: it works. <laughs> that's the power of coaching yeah our
0: coaching Power of conversation I'm, I'm absolutely sold brooke yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> the um Anyways, this was awesome. Thanks, Brooke, so much for this. This uh, I don't know. Do you have any other questions, Henry? I I know we've already taken up over an hour of your time, and it's it's a Sunday, yeah.
1: Um, just um, just can you just remind me? Well, I, I know it will be on the podcast, so I can always listen back. But where where can you know if I, if I was interested in coaching, how where where can I get hold of you? Is there a website?
2: Just, yeah, just on my website. So dub potential Awesome. And everything's there. And there's even a little download that you can do is coaching right for me and a little yes, no, is this what I'm looking for? Kind of
0: okay. Good.
2: Yeah.
3: Awesome. Uh, Well, awesome.
0: Thank you very much. Well, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And I I'm I'm sure I'll see you in person at some point, but it um anyways. Yeah.
3: Yeah. (laughs)
0: Awesome. Have a great day.
3: Thanks. See ya. See you later.
0: Wow, that was uh really good. I really enjoyed thinking about it just made me think so much um, about conversations that I'm having and but also in the classroom what we're doing and how we could change that to be better yeah
1: Yeah, I mean I've learned loads more about coaching Um, and as I said in the episode I've I've had a sort of initiation to it but I think that Brooks really sort of developed my understanding around it and just showed me the importance of it Um, it certainly inspired me to think about it and how I could maybe become a coach or or get involved in that definitely going to do that uh, I don't know about you Adrian whether that's something you're going to do or oh or definitely, that. yeah and I, ju- I love to talk
0: about having options like always giving people yeah. options and I think that's the biggest thing and making sure that it's they're they're choosing what they're going to do I'm, I'm going to try to think about how I could do that in my basketball coaching as well just you know giving options to you can either do this or this you know work on this kind of thing giving them options but
1: yeah, yeah I think there's so much in there like I know we talked a lot about teaching and and had a real teaching focus but you know, I'm thinking about outside of the classroom, how I can apply a lot of those strategies and things yeah. like that, just like you were saying. So, yeah. um, I think hopefully, uh, lots of people will take a lot from that. I, you know, I said, and that. I,
0: and I loved that she was talking about how, you know, trying to get empower women and girls.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. That's
0: yeah. such a thing that I think that we forget about as that kids in general need to be helped with becoming empowered and i and i think that sometimes people get forgotten like if you're just a loud person you obviously are going to be heard by everybody but we have to we have to think about those people that aren't the loud ones and, yeah, yeah. and not just girls but just everybody in general just trying to get them to be not more outspoken but give them their opportunities right so that's not, self,
1: self-efficacy that she was talking about yeah that's so, right. so.
0: Yeah, and and if you want to reach out to her, uh, I know she said it at the end of the episode, but it's at potential to performance.co.nz. Um, and you can be anywhere in the world now because this Zoom stuff allows us to. So and that'll just show up on Google. Yeah, I think it just shows up on Google. I'll put the link in the show notes as well on the website. And uh yeah, thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just one final thing. If you have any questions or or anything like that, please do feel reach out to us. Um our email address is
0: teachers at gmail.com, which is also on the website. So you can just click on that
1: link and just follow that link. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. Good, bad, ugly, anything, anything you want to say to us. It would be, be lovely to hear. <laughs> right. So.
0: All right. Well, uh, have a great week. And you don't, I don't know when you'll listen to this. So it could be a have a great weekend. Could have a great week. Could be have a great time. Have a great time and stay out of trouble. And we'll see you next time. Signing out. Toodaloo. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please don't forget to like, share, and rate us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to hear from you. And if you have an idea of someone that would like to be on the show or you'd like to find out more, please send us a message at teachersrpodcast at gmail.com or you can Facebook message us or on instagram all right have a great day see you next time edited by adrian swenson and henry godkin music produced by adrian swenson and free sound from david renda on f-e-s-l-i-y-a-n studios.com as it is free sound and downloadable by all but thank you very much for producing some of the music that i've mixed with all of the other stuff